Hi everyone, Happy New Year. Great to be here with you all. My name is Ming and I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. Over the past month, we have been asking people their big questions about life, this world, and God. We took all those questions and bundled them up under five big questions. And across the next five weeks, we'll be looking at the questions you had. What is the purpose of life? Is death the end? Isn't God just a figment of our imagination? Aren't all religions the same? And why do bad things happen to good people? Last month, I hit up my friend from high school and I asked him if he had any big questions about life, God, or this world. And he was really surprised. He was quite interested because he reckons most of the time, churches are answering questions that no one's asking. He was like, this is great gave me one of his questions and is planning to show up later this month. Maybe you're someone who's come along today because you submitted a question. And maybe it was even this question. What is the purpose of life? And what a great question to be thinking about as we start off this new year. I remember as a kid feeling like life was so boring. You're always waiting for something to happen. Asking, are we there yet? When can I go to the pool? When can I go outside? When can I get this or that? Even the TV gets boring. I mean, there are cartoons in the morning or after school, but nothing during the day. I remember one sick day as a kid, I was flicking through the channels and my options were infomercials, Shortland Street reruns, or Coronation Street. Who wants to watch that? I distinctly remember the feeling What's the point of life? I'm always waiting for something to happen. What am I doing here? And then you become a teenager and stuff does start to happen, but you gotta go to school. And at school, you're constantly being told what to wear, what to do, where to go, what not to do. And it's like, I just, I just want some freedom. Is this my life? Really? Constantly being told what to do? What's the point of all this? And then you get to uni and you're like, ah, finally, I've made it. I've got the freedom to do what I want to do. The problem is I don't have the money to do what I want to do. I've got all this time. I might even have a car, but I don't have any money to do anything. And then you get a job and you're like, great. I've got the money to do what I want. But then you realize I don't have any time to do it. Do you remember that moment when you first got your first full-time job? I remember that first morning for me. I was a research assistant for the university. I got up, excited, energized, even early. But by the afternoon, nothing was really happening. Orientation was over. And I started to think, this can't be it, can it? It's so boring. Every day, 6 a.m., wake up eat breakfast, make my lunch, catch the bus, go to work, come back from work, cook dinner, go to bed. You're like, what on earth? Is this the rest of my life for the next 50 years? What's the point? Well, at this stage, some of us get married and have kids and think, surely this is the meaning of life, starting a family. But no one tells you that actually marriage is incredibly hard. Not always as fun as it looks like from the outside. 
You know, this past year, I just turned 30. And I don't know about you, but there's something about that two turning to a three that just, that just makes you think, this is it. This is my life now. And you start to wonder, all the dreams and hopes I had as a teenager and early 20s, all the things I thought would bring meaning and purpose to my life, you start to question, is this it? Have I arrived? And maybe that's where some of you are at. Maybe you thought your life would turn out differently to the way that it has. You used to think that the meaning of life was a relationship, and yet that's broken down or hasn't come along. Maybe it was a cause, but you've lost faith in the leaders of that cause. Or maybe it was your career, but you're feeling tired, frustrated, or stuck. What is the purpose of life? Is there any meaning to it at all? It's a question all of us ask, whether we know it or not. We are always trying to work out, what am I doing with my life? What's my goal? What's my purpose? But here's the real kicker. Is there an answer to that question? Is life just an endless pursuit of chasing purpose? Is it found in happiness, career, identity, comfort, or adrenaline? Well, today, I'm going to present you with two answers that our world tells us, the two biggest answers, and then I'm going to show you the answer God gives us. And what I want you to do is just think, think which one of these makes the most sense? Which one of these matches up with what we see in the world around us? So the first option, the first answer to the question, what is the purpose of life is this. The purpose of life is whatever you make it out to be. You create your own meaning. Maybe your purpose in life is traditional. You want to have a family. Or maybe you want to volunteer and make a difference in the world. Climb a mountain. Be an artist. Become super rich and famous. Whatever it is, whatever you want to do, go knock yourself out. I remember one year along State Highway 1 and getting off at the Remuera exit with this massive billboard for a school saying, the world is your oyster. You have the opportunity to do anything you want. And what they're saying, one of the answers our world offers us is, it's your life. You get to decide what the meaning of it is. Now, the problem with this is that things become a bit arbitrary. What we might call fulfilling or right and good becomes subjective, inconsistent, even random. We no longer have an external reference point to work out whether the meaning in your life really is something worth giving your life to. At uni, I studied physics. And one of the most essential foundational concepts was this idea of a frame of reference. Ever heard of Einstein's theory of relativity? Well, a frame of reference is, a necessar is necessary to make any real objective observations. Let me give you an example. I wonder if you've ever been at a traffic light. It's red and, and you're daydreaming a little. You know, there's tons of traffic. But just out of the corner of your eye, you see the car in the other lane to you moving slowly. It's just moving along. And you can't work out, uh, are they moving or am I moving? So what do you do? 
How do you work out that question? Well, you snap out of it. You hit the brakes and you look up. You look out the window for something that is fixed, immovable, and objective. You know, a tree or a building or something. But what would happen if all the trees and all the buildings were moving as well, going back and forth, moving all over the place? What would happen if there was no objective, immovable, external point to work out where you're at? Well, what would happen is we'd all be lost. We wouldn't know what is going on. It'd be chaos. And the idea that meaning is whatever you make it to be is exactly a world where everything is moving. And the big problem with this is there's no point of reference, no way to work out whether you're progressing or regressing, going up or going down. So let's say I'm going to leave my job and spend the year giving malaria vaccines in Africa. You'd be like, wow, that's a great purpose to get behind. That work would really add great meaning to your life. But if I said, I'm going to leave my wife and kids and then go and, and have an affair with the neighbor next door, you'd say, mm, is that really such a good idea? The problem is, why are you judging my meaning? I thought I had the right to create my own meaning and purpose in life. See, the problem with this answer, this option one, is if we all get to decide what our meaning is, then nothing really is meaningful, apart from our own fickle little choices. Why is giving malaria vaccines in Africa a better meaning to live by than me having an affair? Or me playing computer games and eating donuts all day? Or anything like that? Many people try to make happiness, or happiness for the most people, their ultimate frame of reference. And while that might sound good, it still leaves us with the problem of a world where everything's moving. What does happiness mean? What does it look like? How do we measure happiness? It's incredibly subjective. And this doesn't even touch on other issues in, in having this kind of frame of reference. Issues of potential injustice, the importance of intention and character, or even who are we to decide what will bring the most happiness? All this brings us to option two. What other answers does our world give us? Well, the second option we have is life has no purpose. Life, it just happens. And many people will say that life is just a series of meaningless events. There's no overarching purpose. There's no overarching point to our universe. And we're all just merely products of blind, naturalistic evolutionary procedures. That's what we are. And our existence has no more or less meaning than the existence of, of a fly or some junk in a scrapyard. We're just matter. We're just stuff. Now, if you're thinking, it's a little depressing, isn't it? If you think, no one, no one really thinks that. No, no, no. People really do believe this. So, for example, Yuval Noah Harari wrote one of the best-selling books of our time. 
And if you go around chatting to students at the University of Auckland about God or life in this world, it's one of the books that gets cited. And it's this book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. This author is a, is a secular historian, so he's not a Christian, he's a philosopher. And in his book, Sapiens, this is what he says. He says, As far as we can tell from a purely scientific viewpoint, human life has absolutely no meaning. Humans are the outcome of blind evolutionary processes that operate without goal or purpose. Our actions are not part of some divine cosmic plan. And if planet Earth were to blow up tomorrow morning, the universe would probably keep going about its, usual, about its business as usual. As far as we can tell at this point, humans would not be missed. Any meaning that people inscribe to their lives is just a delusion. A little bit negative, but what he's saying is that we're just atoms and molecules. I'm just another part of life on the planet, just another animal. And really, the events of my life have no reason, no purpose. There's no designer behind any of it. They're just events. And fancy conclusions and pieces of advice from, from professors like these sound good. We might even think it makes sense. But the problem with this view is that no one really lives like this. No one is willing to live like this is true. We all live as if there is an overarching story to our lives, that we're heading somewhere. And we believe it does matter when we see injustice. We hate being lied to. We're disgusted at domestic violence. We grieve increasing suicide rates. We care about the way we look after this planet. It does matter that we can call people to account for their actions. Why is that? Why do we care? There's something inside of us that drives us to knowing that things do matter. So to the answer, life has no purpose. No one really lives that way. And no one can live that way. There are people who have tried but failed. So I think if we're going to answer the question, what is the purpose of life? We need a frame of reference. But not just any frame, a frame that's going to show us the overarching story that's bigger than our own story. We need to see and understand the story that's going on outside of us to have real meaning in our lives. And this is what Jesus Christ is offering us. This is what the whole Bible is actually all about. That you are part of a grand epic story that you find your place in. We saw a bit of that a couple of weeks ago during Christmas through one of the biographies of Jesus, written by John, a guy who, who followed and saw all that Jesus did. And we see this again in a historical letter to Colossians, which was read for us earlier. It says in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, back then in ancient Greek times, this teaching about Jesus was, was like a philosophical time bomb. All things 
have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. This idea of, of an invisible God, this idea of a creator was something the Greeks were constantly debating. Is there a meaning? Is there a creator? Is there a reason for life behind the universe? That's what the Greeks were looking for. A cosmic order or structure behind the universe. A reason for living. And they thought if there was one, if they could find the reason for life, this order behind reality, then we probably ought to align our lives with this purpose. And maybe then we'd stop breaking down as societies and individuals. It's a little bit like a bread toaster. It's made to cook and toast bread, right? Now, imagine I want to take a bath, but there's no hot water left. I don't want to have a cold bath. I want to make some warm water, make it a bit toasty. So I come up with a bright idea. If I want to feel a bit more toasty, I'll just grab the toaster, plug it in, and drop it in the bath. Do you think that would work? Of course it won't. It would blow up. I'd get electrocuted and the house would burn down. Why is that? It has to do with the design of the toaster. There's a purpose, there's a reason for the toaster's existence. If I don't align my use of it with the designer's purpose for it, I'll destroy it, I'll destroy myself, and I'll destroy my house. Now here's the thing. You have a purpose. God made you and he made you for a purpose. And your life will blow up unless you align your life to the purpose for which God has sent, set for you. All things, we read, and that includes us, have been created through Him and by Him. Now, what is His design? What is the purpose or meaning that we were made for? I think most people misunderstand Christianity at this point. They say, Right, yes, it's just a set of laws you have to follow, right? But look at verse 19 to 20 of Colossians. Have a look with me. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. Christianity is not an abstract set of principles. Our creator is not some distant, unknown force, but it's a person. It's all about Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Have a look at verse 17. He, Jesus, is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. There is a structure, an order behind the universe we can get in touch with. And we need to align our lives, but not to some abstract set of rules, but to a person, to Jesus Christ. And the meaning of our lives is to know Him and be known by Him. The purpose of life is a relationship. We were made by God for God. Now, it's interesting because studies are starting to realize this is kind of true. There's this TED Talk one of the, on one of the longest studies ever conducted. And it asks the question, what makes the good life? It's one of the most watched TED Talks done by a Harvard professor. Check it out later. But he discusses the findings of a study that traces the lives of over 700 men over 70 years. 
and they found that at the end of 70 years, what led to a good life wasn't whether you'd paid off your mortgage. It wasn't whether you'd become rich and famous. It wasn't if you traveled the world and become some big, big hotshot CEO. No, 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 no. It all came down to this. The quality of your relationships. That's what made for a good life. Am I being loved? And am I loving someone else? And this isn't just romantic relationships, but the quality of your relationships in your life. Somehow, we've been designed for relationships. Now, I think we all, all get this, that we feel most fulfilled, that our lives are most meaningful when we're experiencing that. I remember about 15 years ago, my family went on a trip to Taiwan and we stayed up in the mountains for a couple of weeks. And I remember one morning, I wanted to go on a hike, you know, check out the views and all that, but no one wanted to come with me. So I went out on my own. I hated it. The landscape was amazing, but I didn't have anyone to share that with. So it wasn't a meaningful or pleasurable experience. Then, just a couple of years ago, I went on a short road trip to Hamilton with a few friends from church to check out the sites there. You know, to go for a stroll, see something different. And it was like a very basic Auckland. But we were together. I was with friends. We shared lunch together. had lots of chats in the car. And it was a great time. It was meaningful because I shared the time with others. The happiest times of our life are when they're shared. Now, the question we're left with is, well, is there an ultimate relationship? You, you can have buddy relationships, blood relationships, romantic relationships, but is there an ultimate relationship? Is there a God who made me and loves me and wants a relationship with me? You might have noticed in Colossians 1.15, we're told that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Or, or even a couple of weeks ago for Christmas, John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that God became flesh, became human, and made His dwelling amongst us. So, God, He comes to us. He's not something that that needs to be discovered through deep philosophical reflection or long studies over 70 years. He's a person. The meaning of your life comes into your life, comes into our world to be known. He doesn't stay out of reach. I heard about this lady called Dorothy Sayers. She was one of the first female graduates of Oxford University. And she goes on to become a novelist and writes detective fiction. Now, the main character of her novels follows the life of Lord Peter Whimsey, who early in the series is, he's single, he's alone, there's no love interest. But then, about halfway through the series, this woman shows up. This woman is, is not particularly attractive, but she just so happens to have been one of the first female graduates of Oxford University and writes detective fiction. Now, at this point, Fans of Dorothy Sayers are like, what's going on here? Because this woman falls in love with Lord Peter Whimsey. 
they get married, and they go on to solve mysteries together. And readers are like, what's going on? Some people speculate that Dorothy Sayers looked into a world that she's created. She looks at a character she's created, and she sees his pain and loneliness, and she actually falls in love with him. And so she writes herself into the story to save him through this love interest. Now, this is a great picture of what we're learning about here today. Because God is the author of our universe. And as He looks onto our world, looks onto us, destroying ourselves, destroying each other, He looks at a world that is made for Him, but one in which we've rejected Him. A world full of sin and pain and violence and alienation. God looks at this world with grief and anger at all the injustice. And because He loves us, He chooses to write Himself into the story. God Himself takes on human flesh, comes as Jesus to save us from the place we've plunged ourselves into. God looks at the world He's created. He sees we need salvation, and He writes Himself into the story. That's the meaning of life. That there is a grand, epic story behind this universe. And the author, God, is part of the story. He knows you, made you, and He loves you. And He's shown that by coming as the person of Jesus Christ. Another study looking at the science of laughter asked the question, why do we laugh? And they found that human beings are 20 times more likely to laugh at something if we're with someone we know or trust. So it's not just the quality of jokes that will make you laugh, but the real determining factor is if you're sitting next to someone you know or trust. Isn't it interesting? That what we're seeing is that it's who you share the moment with that leads to fulfillment, meaning, and even laughter in life. That it's not about what we do or the quality of the music. It's not what we eat or drink or the experiences we have. It's who you're with that brings meaning and purpose in life. And this is why you can, you can be fulfilled and have purpose even when you're suffering. Why do you think we visit people in hospital? When you go to hospital, there's grief, there's pain, but you walk away from that and say, that was meaningful. That was worth it. There was some kind of purpose to that. We feel that moment was more fulfilling than watching an episode of, of something on Netflix. You know, I mean, Netflix is, is way more exciting, way more happy, way more entertaining, but it's empty. Whereas you go and spend time with someone who's suffering, or you yourself are suffering, but you share a moment with someone else, and you realize there's some, there's some meaning here. We're part of something bigger. This is what we see in the Bible, that God is Jesus. He became flesh. He became one of us. And so the purpose of your life, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you own or, or what you achieve or what you know. In the end, the meaning of life is who you're in relationship with, who you share the moment with. And it all really comes down to sharing your life with Jesus 
being in the ultimate relationship. And that's what being a Christian is. Jesus invites us to become a part of his kingdom, to become his friend, to become a part of his family. And this is the bigger story. There is a God who who loves us, who made us, who designed us to be in relationship with him. And he comes to save us. He dies for us so we might be reconciled to him. Now, here's the test for whether you found something, found a story, a meaning that can truly bring purpose to your life. The real test is whether that meaning can hang around even if you're suffering. There's a best-selling book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the author, Viktor Frankl, spent time in four death camps and wrote this book reflecting on the experience of suffering and death in these camps. And what he found, he said, in the death camps, there were some people whose, whose meaning of life was their relationship with their wife, or, or others, their, their meaning of life was their career in academia. For others, it was their children. And when they went into the death camp, their meaning was stripped away from them. He says that when a person doesn't have a meaning in the death camp, when you're there and you know your wife is in the camp next door being put to death, if she's the meaning of your life and she's no longer there, life becomes meaningless. Viktor Frankl's up close and personal encounters with life and death show us that when people lose their meaning, They end up shriveling and dying. And he's right. Life without purpose only leads to one place. Death. So here's the real test. You need a purpose in your life that can survive suffering and even death itself. You know, my wife, Angela, brings me lots of meaning. My son brings me lots of meaning. My health My friends, my role here at church brings me lots of meaning to my life. But all those things can be stolen away from me. And if I place my absolute meaning of life in those things, then my purpose of life is incredibly fragile. The only thing in this world, in this universe that can survive death, is whether you're loved and known by God himself. This is what Jesus is offering us. Yeah, our relationships with one another, our work, sports, our studies, there's lots of things that bring meaning to our life. But if they're disconnected from God, they're emptied of their meaning. They don't last. We often try and take these things and elevate them to the status of God, hoping they'll bring ultimate meaning, but they don't last. The real issue is, do we have a purpose in life that can go to the distance? that can survive death and disaster. Only Jesus offers us that. He knows you, he made you, he loves you, and he wrote himself into this world to come and rescue you so you might be in relationship with him. There's no other purpose that will ground you today and ground you for eternity. Our purpose in life is to be in relationship with the one who made us and to understand that living his way according to his plan, is what makes life full. You know, Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, he says, 
I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. True life, life fulfilled, is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we say sorry for the many times that we've put other things in our life before you. Where we find meaning in things like our family, our sports, our studies, in our career. All these things, all these good things are not mean nothing without you. We pray that you might help us to take hold of this truth, take hold of your story and live lives that might honor and glorify you. Please help us to see you for you who you are. See your son Jesus for who he is, our Lord and Savior. And might we live our lives aligned with his purpose in relationship with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.